0: The title of this morning's message is Friend Request. Friend Request is the title of this morning's message. And when you found the scripture, say, I'm there. Say, I'm ready. ready. Say, "Read read it. Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and For him, you were created just for him. Man, that's something special right there. God created you just for himself. Out of everyone he could have created, he created you. For himself and I, I love that verse of scripture, and so he cre- everything was created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be the preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood. Of his cross, Father, in Jesus' name, we celebrate who you are this morning. Thank you that we were created just for you. And God, we thank you that you put emphasis on that in your word, so we as the church put emphasis on that as well. Father, I pray this morning we would honor what you've given us in our identity, that it would elevate to a safe place in you so that we could become all that you've called us To become, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, hey, we started this the very beginning of this year with a very strategic plan to go throughout this year to get the body of Christ, TWBC, to a place that we call home. And in the first series of messages we did was called Home. We realized that we are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And even though we're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, many of us are still physically living here in this earth. Well, as we're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, the Bible says this, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And so as we're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, and he said all that he has is ours, we know we're physically living here in this earth. So our next agenda was to create the culture of heaven. How does that look? If we're spiritually seated with him in heavenly places, how do we get that culture to come to this earth? So we started a series called Abide. And it says, Jesus said, Thy kingdom or culture come, thy will or culture be done in our culture on this earth as it is in heaven, your culture. And so Jesus' heart was that the culture of heaven would come to this earth and that's gonna happen because we abide in him. And so that whole series was based on bringing the culture of heaven To this place here. And we realized when the culture of heaven shows up in this place here. His glory is going to show up and manifest. And so we went on a quest for the glory of God. And as we found the glory of God. We realized not only did cities change and generations change. But we change as individuals. Moses came off the mountain and he was glowing with the glory of God. He didn't even realize it until somebody called it out in him. And so we prayed this. That God people would see your glory on us. And the world would begin to recognize your glory, not just in us, but physically on us, that we look different because we not only have been in your place called home and we've experienced your culture here, but your glory has shown up to transform cities and generations. And so now we've jumped into this series called Identity because we realize that when his glory shows up on us, not only do generations change and cities change, but we change. But how do we change? We become the image of the Father here in the earth, we are the father's image. We just read in Colossians 1:15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God who Jesus was and is. We now become as his body. We become the image of the loving heavenly father. And the issue that the world sees with the church is we talk about a loving heavenly father, but the picture we portray or the image we portray doesn't always match up with the words That we say and so we have come on to this series called identity where we wanted to change how we uh, let the world see the image of your father of the father and so as we jump into this morning we talked a couple weeks about go about discovering the real you your destiny is found in your identity. Your destiny is found in your identity. A lot of people think if I find my destiny, then I'll figure out who I am. No, when you figure out who you are, then you'll find out what you're supposed to do, who you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to do it, and do it with great authority and great power in your life. And so when you discover you, you'll discover your destiny. Also, you have great worth. You have great value just for who you are as a person. Your value does not decrease based on someone else's inability to see your worth. Come on now. Your value does not go down just because you can't. somebody else can't see what you're worth. You've got to see what you're worth, though. You've got to recognize that you have potential, you have power, you have resources, you have abilities, you have giftings, you have talents. You have to recognize it in you. But your value does not decrease based on someone else's inability to see what you're worth. But that does go to show we must show the world what we're worth when we recognize our identity. We must live it out. We must show the world that the church is valuable in today's society. Amen. It's not this old religious organization. No, the church has great value in today's society. And the church must become not just useful again, but necessary again in the the world that we live in. So much necessary that if the church vanished tomorrow, there would be a great collapse in every city. Come on. Because right now, if all the churches in, in, in Northeast Texas disappeared, Northeast Texas would still function. It shows that we're useful, but it doesn't show that we're necessary. We must become necessary in this region again. We must become necessary around the world again. And so as we jump in to to where we're going today with friend request, we have to remember last week we talked about honor. It's not an act. It's a lifestyle. The act of honor will set you up for failure. The lifestyle of honor will set you in a place for your identity to become all that it is supposed to become. We talked about honor being like a dome on a football stadium. They protect and honor the integrity of football games so much, they build billion and a half dollar stadiums to protect and honor the integrity of that game. You must do the same with your life. You must protect the identity of your life, who you are in Christ. You must honor it and put it in a safe place and give yourself optimal environment to grow in. You must create a greenhouse, for a better term, in your life, for, you to, for your identity to be planted in and flourish in an amazing way. One of the ways that we do that is understanding our friend request. And how many of you got Facebook in here? Hold your hand up real high. How many of y'all know what Facebook is? How many of you heard of Facebook? On Facebook, they have this thing where if I know you and you know me, you can click friend request. And you request to become their Facebook friend. And nothing is official until it's Facebook official, right? So much so that when you get unfriended, people's feelings get hurt, their attitudes go sour. I mean, everything goes bad, and and, and it's a horrible situation. But Facebook has seemingly become the status of how people equate their identity and how many friends you have determines how much your value is, how much worth you have. And so the more friend requests you get, it makes you feel more important. The less friend requests you get or when you get unfriended, Some of you feel like your value has decreased of, I don't know what I did to offend them because they unfriended me on Facebook, right? And even so much so, it gets to the point where they have limited your friends on Facebook to 5,000. You can only have 5,000 friends on Facebook, right? How many of you talk to all 5,000 of them every day? So a friend request is different than a friend. Come on. A friend request is different than a friend. My father-in-law always used to say this, in your lifetime, Joel, you can count yourself very fortunate if you have three people that you can count as friends. Talking from day one to day end. You got about three people that if you can have three true friends in life, you can count yourself as a blessed man. Jesus had his big three, Peter, James, and John. You'll have several acquaintances, 10 to 20, people that you can depend on, rely on, call on, be in your life no matter what. And so in that, you'll have several acquaintances. Then you'll have several people in your life who are in your life that you know, and you call them your friend, but are they truly, really a friend? And so as we begin this message this morning called Friend Request, I want us to begin to understand that as you begin to live out your identity and step into your destiny, you'll have some friend requests that you strongly need to consider. And take it off a Facebook level, you'll have people come into your life that you strongly need to consider your relationship with. Thank you, Jesus. I love you all. I am your friend. Okay. My my wife always says this about me. She says, um, Joel, you just know so many people. And the reason I know so many people is this, it's not because I stand on stage and talk, it's because of this. It's because I think everybody is great, perfect, and wonderful until you prove me wrong. Come on, that's how I view life. I'm the eternal optimist. I mean, you can punch me in the face and I'll say, well, he could have hit me harder. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not mad that you hit me. I'm just grateful you didn't hit me harder, right? I'm the eternal optimist. That's That's the reason I haven't quit this job yet. Come on. I'm the eternal optimist. Now, my wife has a different mindset. She is my balance. You must prove your friendship to her before she unleashes all her life information. Come on. To her. Now, me and Derek have some good laughs because me and Derek are alike and our wives are identical. And so in that, she takes the safe route and she doesn't get hurt a lot. I need to consider some of my friend requests because it would prevent me from experiencing some of the catastrophic things that I've experienced in life. Now, listen. Now, this is more than who it is. It is the spiritual impact that accompanies the who and how it will impact your identity, okay? I want to set up a precedence this morning, okay? And you got to hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. And so as I begin to talk about this this morning... I need you to hear what I'm saying, not what I am not saying. So in this process, I want to read several verses of the scriptures out of Romans chapter 8. And they begin like this. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Somebody give me an amen. Come on. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Come on. So God is now not just for us, he's graciously giving us all things. Somebody needs to celebrate on that. It's already coming your way. But then you jump down to verse 35 and it says, who, everybody say who. Who "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It does not say what. A lot of people misquote this verse and it doesn't matter what translation you look it up in. It is never what, it is always a who because a lot of the what's are started by a who. Okay? Come on. A lot of the what's are started by a who. And so in this, it says, God is for us. Who can be against us? I'm graciously giving you all things. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on now, that's celebrating words. Now listen. If we're talking about friend requests, the Word of God, He gave us great inspiration at the beginning, great inspiration at the ending. He's the ultimate preacher and pastor, but right there in the middle... He gave us something to consider. He said, who shall separate us? Who? Who are some of the who's in your life that you need to check your friend request on? Who are some of the who's in your life that are affecting your identity? Who are some of the who's in your life that are bringing you away from the image of the Father or, and who are some of the who's in your life that are drawing you towards the image of the Father. So we need to be, begin to check these things. And so on that, many of you are already setting it up in your mind because I know psych- psychologically how you think, I'm just going to stop friending everybody because if I stop friending everybody, I won't get hurt. If we stop friending everybody, the gospel won't go to the ends of the earth. <laughs> and so then we're in sin not fulfilling the Great Commission. And then so we've got to begin to understand what the Bible's getting at here. To understand fully what it's talking about, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now listen, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places." Now i got a question, Paul. You just said in Romans, who's going to separate us? But now in Ephesians, Paul, you're the same person who wrote it. You just said it's not the people or the who's, it's the forces behind them. What are we doing here? you got to realize everybody you come in contact with carries the Spirit with them. Come on. They either carry the Spirit of the Father, and the presence of the Father, and the love of the Father... Or they carry the spirit of the devil. Some of you are like, I can't believe he just said devil in church. (laughs) You call your kids the little devil all the time. So, I mean, I'm just saying. (laughs) So you carry, you run into people who carry one or the other. You can even run in, now listen, you can even run in circles where you have godly people who believe in Jesus Christ, who love the Father, but still carry a spirit with them that hasn't been dealt with yet. And so in this, it puts us at great risk, I'll say it like that, that when we identify with or friend request with or allow people to come into our lives with these things, we automatically make ourselves vulnerable to the spirit that they carry with them. Right? So, why the Bible gives such strong directions for elders and deacons. Okay? It's not talking about they can't just be a good person or a bad person. What spirit do they carry with them? When the, when the Bible talks about they were choosing the first seven uh, uh, deacons, basically, because there was so much work to do, it said, choose men with the spirit of faith about them. Okay? So you've got to begin to look who you're associating with. Because who you're associating with will have a direct effect on your identity. And some of y'all are saying, well, my spouse that I married. <laughs> well, let me give you some great encouragement on this. Women especially. The Bible says, um, ladies, your husbands are sanctified by you because you're a believer. Come on. So ladies who've been struggling, you need to stand on the word of God because you're in covenant with the person carrying a spirit about them that is not the spirit that you desire to be identified with. The Bible says they're sanctified by you. So ladies, you got great power that you need to start walking in. You need to walk into your house and start declaring the word of God and saying, my husband is sanctified because I'm living a righteous and holy life and let God begin to honor it. Now, husbands, the Bible says you are the head of your household. And that does not mean keep a hard pressed thumb on the woman in your life. What that means is you will love her, nourish her and cherish her, even as the Lord does the church. And the Bible says as much as you do yourself. (laughs) So, ladies, every time he buys a golf club, you get new shoes. Come on. Lady, celebrate. Come on, I'm helping you out here. You're to love her like Jesus loves the church and as much as you love yourself, the Bible says. And so I want to make very clear that when we start talking about friend requests here over the next 15 minutes, that this is what you got to differentiate in your, in your psyche, in your thinking, that I got to love the people very much so. And I even got to entrust my life into people, some people, Very much so, but I must be very aware of the spirit that they carry with them in their life. Listen, I never run into people that have a spirit of joy that have an issue with fear. People with a spirit of joy very seldom have an issue with fear. Now, there's people who laugh and make jokes and are sarcastic and make people laugh all the time. That's not the spirit of joy. That's the spirit of sarcasm that you're trying to get it off yourself onto somebody else. Okay? Okay. But very seldom, if you run into a person with a true spirit of joy, they very seldom have an issue with fear. I have a spirit of joy about me. I very seldom have an issue of fear, even to my detriment sometimes. I'm like, hey, I'll just step out there, and God's going to make a step somewhere, (laughs) right? I'll jump out of a plane, and the parachute's going to work. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And so in that, you got to connect with people. Jesus connected with 12 people on a very intimate level, one who he knew was the devil— and new would betray him because he said so. So there's going to be people in your life that you connect with that have a spirit about them, but you can set yourself up in this place of honor, this dome, this greenhouse, so you can flourish and become the most you can be without them affecting your life, but you can still pour into their life. That's the ultimate process that we're trying to accomplish this morning. And if we can't accomplish this process, we'll never see God do what he wants to do in the world today. Because some Christians say, I'm just gonna pull me and my own out of everything in the world, and we're not gonna associate with anybody, and we're gonna make sure our little my four and no more are safe. I understand that. I respect that, man. There's been things that I've seen go on in the past two weeks that I'm like, I just wanna pull my family out. We're going to Fiji, and we're gonna live on the beach in a little hut, and nobody can talk to us, and we're gonna be safe. Come on, thank you, Jesus. I'll figure out how to fish. Come on. But then I realized that's the spirit of fear, not the spirit of faith rising up in me. And so I must begin in a spirit of faith, figure out how to honor my family and put them in an optimal growth environment without secluding myself with the people I'm supposed to be reaching with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in this, I want to give you a perfect analogy of this or illustration of this through Jesus himself. And so we must develop an awareness That while we are loving the who to honor the identity, the image of the Father that we're displaying here in the earth, Jesus gave a perfect illustration of this. It's in Matthew chapter 6. And within seven verses, Jesus goes from calling Peter the rock that the church is going to be built on to get thee behind me, Satan. Seven verses. Take out the little subtitle in there, okay? Jesus didn't put subtitles in his speaking, okay? This is all one account. This is all in the same time frame. And so in this, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 18. And he said, and I tell you, Peter, and everybody loves to celebrate this. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And everybody celebrates, and we love it, and we praise it, and we say, thank you, Jesus. You're giving us keys, and the church is going to go forward. Verse 21 happens. And it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes to be killed. And on the third day, raised from the dead. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, Peter, he's Jesus. He walked on water. He he multiplied bread and fish. Why are you rebuking the man? He's got some stuff for you. Peter began to rebuke him. And Jesus said far be it or he said far be it from you Lord that this shall ever happen but he turned to Peter and said get behind me Satan. What? Are you kidding me? You just said you're building your church on this man you're calling Satan. Does everybody see the see the irony that I'm talking about? See it's what we've been talking about Jesus was loving the who in Peter. Peter, I love you. I see your potential. I see that you're an anointed man of God. I see that you got great potential moving forward. And and so much that I'm going to tell you this. That on this rock, and, and I want to clarify what Jesus is saying. He didn't say he was building the church on Peter. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. You're a part of it, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter goes on to prove this true because he says he is the foundation stones. We're living stones built on him. Come on now. Thank you, Jesus. And so he's saying we're building our church together, Peter. And so he's loving the who, but immediately within the next verses, he looks at him and says, I'm loving the who, but I'm telling the who that's accompanied you right now, get thee behind him because you're not going to hinder the work of God, Satan. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. How to deal with things in people. Yeah. Because you, we, we got to love the who's. Listen, I, I, I'm going to be real out there this morning. You've got to love Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. right. right. Yeah. Thank you. I got four amens. Thank you, Jesus. I knew. I'm just going to cannonball the baptistry and change things up a little bit. Come on. You got to love the who's. You got to love them. And I hear Chris all say, I ain't got to love them. Yeah, you do. Because you're not going to get them to Jesus without it. You got to love them. You don't got to love what they do. What they, you don't got to love anything about them, but you got to love them as a person. I've heard more junk the past eight years about people wanting to take out world leaders. And I'm like, you may not like anything they stand for, but even the current president that's serving is a husband with two daughters. Take the office out of play. You may not agree with any of his policies, but he's a man with two kids and a wife. I'm a man with two kids and a wife. So part of me is going to love the who, even though I say, get thee behind me, Satan, on all the stuff that may have accompanied situations. Do you understand the stand we got to take as a church? We got to love aggressively, we got to love emphatically, we got to love strongly, but we also got to understand that when we love the who strongly and aggressively, there's going to be things that accompany who's that we got to say get thee behind me Satan on because it's not going to affect my identity. Moving forward. See, I can love you and love the who without letting you, the, the the issue in you Take me out of my calling. Right? And you need to do the same thing. You can love the who's of the world. You can love that who in your workplace tomorrow that you're dreading going into. You can love that who, but not like anything that they do. Because I love you don't mean I approve of things you do. I love you, but it doesn't mean I got to approve of everything you do. I approve of what the word of God says. That is my standard. That's what I live by. That's what I walk by. I approve of the gospel. And I'm going to live it out. And so I'm going to reach the people at the ends of the earth with the gospel. I approve of that. So that's what I do. But I love you, but I don't have to approve of everything you do. And I'll tell you how true that is because you don't ask for my approval. You ask for my forgiveness. <laughs> Pastor, I messed up. I need forgiveness. Don't talk to me. Talk to him. Right? Right? I, can for, I mean, I can forgive you, and the Bible says who we forgive, he forgives, but, but I can forgive you, but that's an issue between you and, you and him. Amen. See, when you set yourself up in a safe place for optimal growth, you, you can love the who's, and you can identify with people without them affecting your identity. You can also forgive people without holding grudges, and you can love on people without letting them drag you down to where they're at in every asa, aspect of life. And so I gotta encourage you this morning that we've got to start loving the whos. We gotta start loving the who's while setting ourselves up in a place that our identity still looks like the image of the fathers. I began thinking, and I'm gonna go way off script on this one. I may not even finish the rest of my notes this morning. I began to think as election is rolling around, who will I be the day after the election? Will I be a man disappointed or will I be a man celebrating? Will I be a man who's hurt? Will I be a man who's offended? Will I be a man who, um, who is affected in some negative way? What kind of man will I be the day after election? And I came to this strong realization, I will still be this man. I will still be the father to two wonderful boys. I will still be the husband to an amazing wife. I will still pastor the greatest church in the northeast Texas area and in the world. I will still be a man that speaks up for the homeless, the hurt, the broken, the lost, the dying. I'll still be a man that believes in the power of God and his anointing going forward. I'll still be a man who stands up for what's right in the midst of what the world says. I'll still be a man who's going to live uncompromisingly, even if it costs me my life with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will still be a man who stands up for you and for the people of our city I'll still be a man who blesses the children in our communities, in our schools, I'll still be a man who tries to live out out the image of the Father and look like Jesus Christ in this earth, I will still be that man after that day no matter what happens on that day that's my identity that's who I am and it's made it real easy to love the who's but I don't have to approve of what the who's do In your life, you need to set yourself up to have your identity in the midst of worldly situations and worldly issues. Everybody say the number six. Real quickly, I'm fixing to give you six points to maintain your identity. Are you ready? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I wanted to focus on the first half of the message. You need to identify distractions in your life. Identify distractions in your life. Identify what's distracting you from living out the image of the Father in your life. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, I'm so glad to be in church on Sundays because I'm surrounded by you. Come on. I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. See, you think he's talking about the previous chapter. I think he's talking about you. (laughs) See, I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And let let us lay aside every weight. And listen to this. And a sin which clings so closely... Corey, can I borrow for you a second? Corey, can you come stand right here? I love Corey. Listen, I want to tell you what this verse means. A sin that clings so closely. You don't got to try and go looking for sin to fix. It's looking for you to stop you. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us throw off those things that do this. Hey, hey, Corey, it says run. You got to run, 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 run. <laughs> do you see? Did you see? Yeah. Good job, Corey. Corey's awesome. He didn't know I was going to do any of that, by the way. <laughs> just straight out of nowhere. Now, now listen. Now, I'm going to put somebody different second service that wasn't here. Praise God. Thank you. But it says, it says this it says, throw off the sin that clings so closely. Clinging doesn't mean it's just, hey, Corey. Hey Corey. That's good. <laughs> no, sin is these great teeth that say, wham. Yeah. And when it latches onto you, I'm sorry, I wasn't gonna do it. He, I know he freaked out. <laughs> and it clings on to you. Yeah. That's why your identity is so important. Because you gotta love the who's, but some stuff that accompanies the who's you need to set yourself up with safeguards that it doesn't cling to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Some of y'all got yourself in more trouble because you're trying to celebrate with a who and you ended up being in a place you shouldn't have been because of the sin that clings so closely. And because it, it's telling you to why. It says, it says to, to run. When that stuff's grabbed onto you, you can't run. And I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it. You can go be seated. I'm sorry. Love this guy. I love this guy. You can't run the race that you're called to run and, and run it with Endurance. See, it says, throw away the sin that clings so closely so you can run the race and run it with endurance. Now listen, the sin that grabbed onto Corey, I, I made sure I was the sin so nobody else would feel like I was calling him sin, okay? When I latched on the Corey and told him to run, he ran 20 steps, and then he started going upstairs. And I was thinking about hanging on, but I was like, no, nah, that could get bad quick. But by the time he got to the top of the steps, he was like... <sighs> and it's not that Corey's out of shape. It's that when you try to run with sin in your life, the race marked out for you, the sin that clings so closely to you, you can't run it and run it effectively with endurance when you're dealing with all this junk that's trying to cling on to you. You must protect this identity that he's given you. And you got to love the who's without loving the spirit that comes along with them. You set them free from those things. It's number one, identify any distractions. Listen, be ruthless in participating in anything that would tarnish your identity. The Bible says this in Thessalonians 5.22, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. King James Version says, abstain from all appearance of evil. It didn't say abstain from all evil. It says abstain from the appearance of it. <laughs> Even if it looks like it's bad, don't do it. <laughs> and Boy, church should be celebrating. Instead, everybody's like, crickets. <laughs> it says abstain from the appearance of doing it. I mean, there's a reason why we have uh, things that that, uh, uh, protocol in our church offices of men don't ride in cars with women alone because it's the appearance of evil. I don't know if there'd ever be a question where somebody calls my wife, hey, I saw Joel driving around with some other lady in his car. It doesn't happen. If all of us and staff go to lunch together, usually there's six cars going to a restaurant. All the ladies get in one car, all the dudes say, I'm riding on my own, bro, I'm out. But there's reasons we avoid the appearance of evil. Because our identity as TWBC is so important. We must become an expert on our identity. 10,000 hours in any given subject makes you you an expert. How many many hours have you put on figuring out who you are as the image of the Father in this earth? 10,000 hours makes you an expert. We better get to learning some stuff. 10,000 hours, the scripture that I got with that is this one. It says, work hard. (laughs) Come on in the church. Work hard. Okay, give me one amen. Work hard. Come on, we in the church, we got to start working hard again. Not just in our careers, but in our spiritual life. We got to start working hard. Work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. I love what I said a couple weeks ago. Don't practice till you get it right. Practice till you can't get it wrong. Don't practice this thing until you finally figure it out one time. Practice it until you get it right every time, and it's weird when you start getting it wrong. The difference between an amateur and a professional is this. An amateur practices until they get it right. A professional practices until they can't get it wrong. You in your life, you need to live like Jesus, walk like Jesus, practice perfect like Jesus every day of your life until you can't get it wrong. And then when you do happen to end up tripping up at some point in your life, if that ever happens, people say, that, that's not him. We got to pray for him. Something's different about him. That's not the normal him. If there's ever a morning where I seem off to you, I mean, I seem off every morning to somebody, so. <laughs> Amen, so. But if there's ever a morning when you know that something, it's like, man, there's just something about Joel today. Don't beat my door down and say, oh, what's wrong with pastor? Is he okay? Pray. Pray. There's so much that goes on on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or during the week at this church. If you had time to listen to it all, I would tell you. But then that would take the 10,000 hours that we're talking about. So if there's ever something that just seems a little like, man, we just need to pray for pastor. Yes, that's exactly what you need to do. Don't go to 10 other people and say, we need to pray for pastor. Go pray. And so we've got to begin to do these things that the Bible talks about doing. I love this one. Avoid any conversation about your identity with those who disrespect your identity. Avoid any conversation about your identity with those who disrespect your identity. I don't hang around people who say they don't like preachers. Come on, I don't. I go minister to them. And it's funny when, how many times I get this comment. And, and I do want to take, take a moment. Um, Sherry's uncle, I call him my uncle too. Leonard here. He pastors a church in Oklahoma. Y'all give him a hand clap this morning. He took the morning to be with us, him and his wife, Darlene. And, and, and Leonard, I get this a lot when I go into places like I'll hang out with people, I'll talk with people. What do you do? I pastor a church. You're a pastor? And then, and then, and then it happens The Great Separation. (laughs) It's like, wow, that's great. We're so proud of you. Keep up the good work. Fight the good fight of faith. Man, I'm proud of you. I love it. That's so great. Y'all are awesome. Keep doing it out there. You're wonderful, pastor. Keep living it. (laughs) Communion table. I I had it all the way good until (laughs) communion table. And that's what happens. Because I'm so in love with who God made me. Not in love with myself, I'm in love with the person God has made me into, that that I won't hang around. And in fact, it's just the opposite. Now, people won't hang around me who don't like my identity. But I had to set that standard. I had to respect who God made me. And listen, some of you, when I said avoid any conversation that would disrespect your identity, some of you need to unfriend yourself. Some of you need to unfriend yourself. Because you are your worst friend. You are the one who says, I'm just horrible. I can't do it. I'll never be as good as so-and-so. Everything I do is a failure. I'm just a loser. Everything I touch seems to fall apart. It seems like I can't even walk down the street without tripping over my own two feet. And you're the worst enemy of yourself. Unfriend yourself. Tell yourself to shut up every now and then. Come on. You always want to tell somebody to shut up. Tell yourself. I mean, I mean seriously unfriend yourself because you don't need that in your life you need to quit hearing yourself and you need to hear him and what he says about you in your life you need to separate avoid any conversation about your identity that would disrespect your identity prepare for adversity they're going to put six points up on the screen right quick and these six points in your adversity this is what happens with adversity Listen, growth, doesn't occur in the va- uh, growth occurs in the valley, not the mountaintops. Everybody says, I want a mountaintop experience with Jesus. It's in the valley where you grow. It's in the valley where you grow. Because when you prepare for adversity, and that's the next point, uh, in your life as figuring out your identity, prepare for adversity. Because the minute you step out there in faith and you say, I'm going to do this, you're going to have a lot of support but a lot of criticism. Joel I would do it like this Joel I would do it like that Joel if I pastored the church Well by all means come up here and pastor the church (laughs) No I'm serious Because I love it when people say If I pastored the church Well step out there and do it big britches (laughs) Prepare for adversity in your life Prepare for it It's going to come you step out to do a Bible study. You step out to do a small group. You step out to do something. Well, I would do it like this. I would do it like that. Avoid any conversation with somebody who's disrespecting your identity. You may not have it perfect yet. I don't have it perfect yet. I almost dumped over the communion table two seconds ago. Did you see that? <laughs> I don't have it perfect yet, but I'm working on it. And as long as I know he's pleased, that's all I really care about. So in adversity, you need to begin to with adversity. And when it happens, when, when adversity it does this, it forces you to look. It forces you to look for the word of God for answers. Mm. Adversity forces you to turn to your one and only source. Because for a while when there's adversity, you turn to everybody else. But when everybody else fails and they keep telling you the wrong information, you finally look to to the source. Adversity forces you to look to the word of God for answers. Adversity forces you to lean on God and not men. I had to learn real quick, and I didn't learn it real quick. It took me about eight years to learn it, that when I started leading on God's approval and not man's approval, the church would grow. you got to lean on the approval of God and not the approval of men. Adversity, adversity forces you to learn where you went astray. Y'all, there's been some times where I've messed up. In this whole pastoring thing, there's been times I've messed up with my marriage. There's been times I had to go to my wife and ask for forgiveness and the church and ask for forgiveness. There's times I had to get up here on Sunday and say, you know, last week I said this or I did that and I just want to apologize because that, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that or done that or whatever. That's what I love about you. Y'all are like, keep going. We love you. But adversity, it forces you to learn when you mess up. And that's okay Because grace is there. I love grace. Grace is my best friend. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm glad we live in the age of grace, where the Bible says, approach the throne of grace. See, I believe this. God isn't mad when you mess up. He's mad when you don't repent for messing up. I really believe that. He's not mad when you mess up. He expected it. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. But it upsets him when you don't repent from your mess up and change and go towards him. Adversity forces you to long for His presence and His healing in your life. I mean, there's been some situations where I've gone through some adversity in my life, and 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 there and 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 I'll never forget it. It's happened about three times in the last in the last sixteen years of ministry, where my wife would be sitting in the car with me, and I was and I was like, and I remember saying this in the, the the last one, it's like, "Honey, I think I'm done. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. This is too much." It's too hard. I, I don't know what I'm doing. People think the church is great and all I see is shambles and things falling apart. And the adversity was so strong. So strong. That morning that I literally looked in, and I looked in her eyes and said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I had to walk in 10 minutes later making sure y'all thought everything was perfect. <laughs> but adversity... It caused you to long. And when I began to express that to her, because we're in covenant and we're one, and it brought me into the presence of God. And she began to pray. And it began to create a longing in me for the presence of God and the healing power of God in my life. Adversity forces you to long for his presence and his healing. Adversity forces you to listen for changes in God's instruction. It forces you to listen for changes that you may have to make in God's instructions. Adversity forces you to love whatever remains. Come on, that's good. After the sifting and the purified you comes out, you love what remains. Because you realize as we go back to the message assembly required, I now see moving forward or looking backwards what I couldn't see when I was moving forwards. I couldn't see it when I was in it, but now that I look back on it, I love what remains through this. Finally, this morning, disconnect with any relationship. Disconnect with any relationship that does not celebrate your identity. I didn't say don't love the who's. Got to qualify that all morning long. Love the who's. But you can unfriend some people and still love them. Because what that means is I'm going to love them, but I'm not going to let them have a profound impact on who I'm becoming. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love this person because Christ is in me and I am compelled to love. It's the force that makes me live and breathe is love. The Bible says faith works by love. Some of you, it's not a faith issue; it's a love issue that you got to struggle with. And I love these people. I love people in the world, and I love people that do amazing things, and I love people that don't do amazing things. But in that love, I'm going to disconnect with the intimate relationship. Not disconnect all with and never talk to them. I'm going to disconnect. In an intimate way so they cannot have an effect on my identity. Some of you need to change your careers. Because your careers are so intimately entwined with you, you need to disconnect from it. And I don't repent for saying that and I'm not ashamed to say it. Some of you need to strongly consider your profession. And if it is causing you constantly to fail in your identity, you need to say, God, help me here. And the Bible says this, no one is going to be tempted beyond what they're able to, bear, able to bear. But God will provide a way. Come on, God is gracious. He's good. But he wants to know, are you going to disconnect from this thing that's hindering you in your life? I want the worship team to come this morning. I want the ministers to come this morning. Hey, I said a ton of stuff this morning. I hope you took pictures of all the slides so you can rehearse it, remember it. If not, the notes will be on the blog tomorrow morning. You can pull them up and go over it. But if you're going to leave with one point this morning, this is the one I want you to leave with, and it's this right here. It's this point that I want you to grasp and grab a hold of. I said previously in this series, honor causes everything in your life and around it to elevate. Dishonor causes everything in your life to become commonplace. Jesus Christ saw you worthy of not just his death, burial, but his resurrection. For God to rise somebody from the dead because of your worth and your great value as an individual and as a person. You have worth. You have value. And it's time that you start valuing you the way Jesus values you. He said, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to come back again for you from the dead. Wow. In that... When you begin to honor the person who you are, whether you pastor a church, whether you work in the school system, whether you're self-employed, some of you need to look at your relationships because they're strongly affecting the identity that God is creating in you.